Some things that you remember for a long, long time, other things you just forget. But if a picture is involved, somehow we're able to remember better because there is a frame of reference. I remember years ago seeing a picture of a billboard in Atlanta, Georgia on Peachtree Street Big old billboard there, and on the billboard said, if you're tired of sin, call 1-800-734-2286. Now somebody, after the billboard was erected, crawled up there, and where it said, if you're tired of sin, call, they wrote down in big chalk letters, if not, call 843 843- and, and they got all kind of calls, I am told. Sin. Somebody said sin in the modern world is an anachronism. It's an error in respect to time because, you know, sin is covered up. It's explained away. It's been expedited. It's been kicked out of our vocabulary. So we always go back, what is sin? Sin basically is living your own life in your own terms. That's it. Instead of living an abundant life that Jesus promised in his terms. So we know in our culture today, as in the culture in Corinth, that's where we've been for several weeks, we're walking through 1 Corinthians And as we have studied Corinth, we've seen this sure does sound familiar because Corinth was an amazing city there in the early centuries. We need to keep everything in context, so let's be reminded something about where Corinth was and what was going on in that amazing city. We know that when the Roman Empire was being formed by Alexander and others, ancient Corinth was flattened in about 146 B.C., obliterated. And then for a hundred years, nothing was there. But when Augustus Caesar was on the throne of the empire, he said, we've got to reinstate Corinth. Corinth was too strategic in its location. Remember, it was on that little isthmus that connects northern part of Greece with the southern part of Greece. Just four miles. Also, it was used as a connecting link between the Ionian Sea and the Aegean Sea. Just four miles. The ships would come and unload and carry the cargo four miles and get another ship and go through rather than going around the point. It would save lives and save hours in transporting materials, east, west, north, south, strategic points. So Augustus said, rebuild the city. So in about 46 B.C. all the way to 50 A.D., they built there in that strategic location what became one of the largest, most affluent cities in the world. 
who inhabited ancient Corinth. Primarily young men. They came from all over the world, all kind of backgrounds, all kind of cultures, all kind of languages, and they went to Corinth to make money. They left their families, and therefore you had a whole lot of hormones operating independent of family. Do you see the setting? It became a center for decadence, and we know already that the skyline of Corinth on the top of the mountain there overlooking Corinth, there was a temple to Aphrodite. There's a temple to Venus. And all these temples specialize in sexuality. Over a thousand prostitutes would come down to Corinth and, and sell their wares every day. Sex was equated with worship, with God. They had all kinds of people, all kinds of temples. And in this kind of environment, imagine it, the Apostle Paul comes and he establishes a Christian church, most unlikely place on the planet. And all of a sudden, in the Christian church, everything they had known in Corinth was turned upside down. Corinth thought that sex was easy. Sex was easy. Money was sacred. Paul comes to the Christian church and says, it's the other way around. Sex is sacred and money is easy. So all of a sudden you have this little group of people there in a culture that was totally sexualized sexualized. So the church takes a stand for purity. The Christians understood that sex was invented by God. People say, oh, really? <laughs> That's stunning. Sex is, is sacred. It is holy. It is special. What is it for? Procreation? have babies for pleasure, and also it is for a symbol, a beautiful symbol, a metaphor of how you and I come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ in marriage, in marriage. But in the modern church, and I want to say this reverently and carefully, a lot of people want to sleep with God but they don't want to marry God. We, we want a little bit of God, enough of God, enough of church, but we don't want to enter into an intimate relationship as is the symbol of intimacy in marriage. And all of this involved in the sacredness of our sex, of gender, of who we are, and of the most intimate, beautiful relationship on the planet. In marriage, there is to be celebration. Those who are unmarried, there is to be purity and chastity. And so we come to Corinth, a totally sexualized culture. We have the church there that all of a sudden the culture of Corinth begins to flow into the church 
And we've already seen that as we talked about a sexual sin right up in our study. A prominent member of the church was guilty of incest. And they hadn't looked over that. He was so wealthy, so well-known. Everybody knew about it. And all of a sudden, the Corinthians, they said, you know, the church is almost like we are. They just don't tell it. They have an underground relationships there. So the witness of Christ was being muted. It was being pushed away. The exclusivity of God in Christ and his formula and plan for a life that's in this life and beyond this life was being pushed away. So we know that Corinth was totally sexualized. I'll tell you something else. The United States of America has been totally sexualized. List all the problems we have. Name them. Bang, 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 bang. And with few exceptions, it revolves around the misunderstanding or the misuse of this most sacred relationship of sexuality. We have been sexualized like Corinth. Corinth was four miles wide and four miles deep in all their sexual confusion. The United States today is what? 2,800 miles wide and almost 1,600 miles deep. And in this culture, we have been too sexualized. Now, I thought about this and I said, where is there an illustration? Where is there something that we can use to parallel how all of us, everybody here, somebody say, I've never had a problem with sex. You'd be a liar. You'd not be telling the truth. All the way through our development, from puberty forward, there's so much confusion, so much misinformation. And now all of this has been exploded into areas that we sit back and say, I can't believe it. And I thought about kudzu. Know what kudzu is? It's a southern vine, a plant that is carnivorous, to say the leaf. It is fluent. Kudzu came into America from the Orient in 1846. It came in in a little pot. It had purple flowers, a beautiful aroma. It was growing, lovely, 1846. But soon they discovered that kudzu could be used on the banks of rivers, and it would prevent erosion. And so they planted it only to discover you just can't control kudzu. It just grows, it expands, and everybody in the world has tried to kill it in different ways. You can burn it, it'll come back. You can take and uproot it, and some seeds will be there, it'll come back. You can take in, insecticides, you can take herbicides, put it on, it will come back. You can try to smother it, that's the best thing. Or you can put walls around it, and it'll grow over it. In fact, today in the United States of America, listen, over 7 million acres are covered in kudzu. It grows about 120,000 acres a year, 
and sometimes a foot a day. You say, well, what is seven million acres? Seven million acres would cover the state of Virginia. It's pervasive. It grows. It consumes. Much like the sexual drive that God has given us when it gets out of control. Kudzu wraps around us. It did in the days of the Corinthian church, and it is still wrapping around us as we as a nation have become almost totally sexualized. So Paul addresses this problem very clearly. He's already talked about incest, the church disciplined this man, but we have the beautiful truth. He was disciplined because of immorality in 1 Corinthians, but in 2 Corinthians, we see the beautiful story of they brought him back. He came back in faith. He's restored fully in the life of Christ, the healing and forgiveness of the body through Christ. We see that. We've been through that, but now we come to the end of the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, and this end of the sixth chapter is sort of a prelude as we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and ladies and gentlemen, you have never seen anything in sexual confusion and a jungle like we're going to walk in as we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So Paul is sort of getting some things straight, some presuppositions, some foundations before we get into the kutzu jungle as he walks us through all kinds of sexual perversion and relationships. So let's look at the end of 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 through verse 20. Hope you have your Bibles with you. If not, take your computers or your iPhone and turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 20. You can dial it in, speak it in. Maybe you have an app there already. Let's look at it. Profound words from God's man. Chapter 6, verse number 12. And he says, I have the right to do anything. And he says that twice. I have the right to do anything. In one verse, Paul says, I have the right to do anything. And then before he gets into the explanation of that, and I'm sure he said that, he puts that phrase in context. We have to do that. For example, I could say, I love to go out in the ocean, or I love to take cruises, but I don't do it because every time I've done it, I get sick, seasick. So you could quote me and say, Edwin Young loves to take cruises, but he doesn't do it because he gets seasick. Now, take that out of context. You'd say, Edwin Young loves to take cruises. Is that right? No. I get seasick. I've tried it. I've tried all the other remedies. I don't want any input there. <laughs> Somebody told me the better coordination to have, you're more apt to get seasick. I accept that. 
But see, you could quote that out of context. You could say, Edwin Young loves to cruise. No, I don't. But take it out of context. That's exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul. He is setting the record straight on a couple of things that the Corinthians were quoting him about. They They were saying, Paul said, everything is right to me. I can do anything and everything. And then Paul puts that in context and said, wait a minute. There are a couple of limitations. And we know why he would have said in teaching the church, I can do anything. He was trying to explain to them that Christianity is not a do and don't religion like mostly all the other religions that they had and all their other religions of the world. He said Christianity is a relationship with God Almighty provided for us by way and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I can do all things, but only in Christ. Little different, I can do all things, only in Christ. And then he says there are two limitations to this, and he was trying to explain the difference in legalism and freedom. Freedom can lead to license unless it's put in banks. Limitation. Paul says, I can do all things, and then he says the first limitation here. But not everything is beneficial. To understand that in the context of the Greek, he is saying, I can do all things, but everything is not beneficial. And he's talking in a sexual context here, in a sexual context here. He said, not everything is beneficial because in sex, the implication is, Someone else is involved. He understood that we are our brother's keeper. So therefore, the sexual act is not something that's done in isolation because someone else is involved. He said, this is where abstention comes. Remember our principle in marriage celebration. Outside of marriage, purity, chastity. And that is our principle. Paul said, I can do all things, but I don't have that kind of so-called freedom, which ends up in bondage, which we've already been singing about, have we not? We already heard about it. It leads to bondage. So that would say, boy, I'm free to do anything. But when we do anything and everything, particularly and especially in the sexual area, it involves somebody else, and we end up in bondage. Bondage. We live in a crazy world in the sexualization of America. Have you noticed? Someone told me, I've never done it, but you can pick up the phone and you can call Uber and they have Uber Foods and they will bring to your house a hamburger for the guy and enchiladas for the wife and zip. Amazing. That's our society. Also, in Men's Health magazine, which is not a pornographic magazine, a couple of months ago, they had a whole article on the 11 best hookups for casual sex. And what you can do, the article said, you can have an app there, and you can dial that app, and they will tell you 
the closest partner, sexual partner that is available according to where you are at that very moment. And usually in five, 10 or 30 minutes, you're gonna have a male or female there that you can have sex with. You say, well, that's no big deal. One app, this sexual app in the year of 2019 had over a billion calls. America has been sexualized. And so we see Paul is saying, I can do anything, I'm free, but there's a limitation, especially in the context of sexuality, when someone else is involved. We live in a hookup generation. No harm, no foul, no big deal. But we know physiologically that's absolutely not true. Every person that you have ever had sex with in your life, the DNA of, that, of you is still with him or her, and the same way both sides, it is still there. It is a molecule kind of thing. Our molecules are involved. When sex happens, there's a hormone that goes out from the male and a hormone that goes out from the female. And in those hormones that go out, they call them monogamous hormones. They're supposed to mean this is a permanent, holy, sacred thing. What did Genesis say? What's the formula? Leave, cleave, one flesh, no shame, openness, vulnerability. And we see it's the total giving of a personality. It's the total revelation of yourself or myself. And therefore, God says it's sacred. And by the way, you could parallel this with worship. What is worship? We become open to God, naked before God. That's worship. All of this involved in the magnificent symbolism we have in this sacred gift that God has given to you and given to me. And so he begins and he says, this is the first thing you have to watch out for. This is all things are with me, but involves other people. Then he says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Sex is highly addictive. And it's beautiful in marriage. It's beautiful in marriage. Outside of marriage, it is absolutely deadly and devastating. It'll cut your heart and your life out. You see the problem they had in Corinth? The Corinthians, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, they all taught that here's the body, the soma, and the body is over here, and here's the soul and the spirit, it's over here. And they taught, it doesn't matter what you do with your body, it's going to die, it's going to vanish. Oh, but you have to take care of your soul and your spirit. And Christianity comes along, the apostle Paul says, nonsense. Your body and your soul, your soul and your spirit, there's a wholeness there, and you can't separate the physical from the spiritual as they did there in ancient Corinthians. You can't do it. And Paul is reminding us of the whole. Have you ever been to a graveside service or a funeral and some collared clergyman said, ashes to ashes and dust to dust? When you hear that, you know you're not dealing with a biblical understanding of life and death. 
Did you get that? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust says that this body dies, we are made from dirt and dust, and therefore this body goes right back to dirt and dust. That is not the teachings of Christianity. That is platonic paganism. Because in Christianity, the body and the soul and the soul and the body go together, and the body is sacred, the body is important, and what you do with your body is connected with who you are in spirit and personality. We're going to see that. We get to 1 Corinthians 15. It's the most fabulous chapter in the world, I think, talking about life now and afterlife. We'll get there in a few years, the rate we're going. <laughs> but what is he saying? He's saying, I can do anything I want to do, but in the sexual area, someone else involved, so there is the exclusivity that God has put in marriage. You say, I can do anything I want to do except something that might be addictive. And we have the idea a lot, well, it's not against the law, therefore it must be all right. And let's just, have you heard this, bank on science. Science. I want to see how science operated in, let's say, the 1950s or so. There you go. Huh. Lucky strikes. Ads. Your throat protection against irritation against cough. Boy, I didn't know that. That was science. That was science. 20,679 physicians say luckies are less irritated. It's toasted. Whoa. And back then, man, I'm just smoking a pack. I'm going to smoke two packs and be a little healthier. What do you think? Science. And look over here, Marlboro. Gee, Mommy, you sure enjoy your Marlboro. You need to never feel, ever smoke. Oh, that's the miracle of Marlboro. Oh, look over here. Oh. Can you afford not to smoke? You know, you've got 20,000-plus physicians in the United States of America endorsing these commercials. My goodness, let's all smoke. You see what I'm saying? Things that are addictive, Paul says, that limits us. We can't get involved in it, even though it may be legal. And I could give a list of a lot of things that are legal that are totally immoral. There's the law of man and the law of God, and we follow the law of man unless it's in conflict with the law of God, right? There is a higher law that we operate in. But in our sexualized society, a man went to see a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist had him to sit down, took a blackboard. He said, all right, before I examine you, I want to see where you are mentally. He said, I'm going to put some things on the blackboard, and the first thing you think of, you say it. So the man drew a straight line. The man said, sex. Oh. He drew a square. What do you think of? Sex. Oh. He drew a circle. What do you think of? Sex. And the psychiatrist says, I think you've got a sexual problem. He said, it's not me, doctor. You've been drawing all the dirty pictures. 
You see, we're so oriented in our culture and our society. It is deadly. There's so much of it. I don't think there's anything more addictive than sex. Crack cocaine, I don't think, had caused a candle to it. I've never been there, but it's highly addictive. So Paul is saying, I can do anything, but I don't want to hurt other people. He said, I can do anything, but something that's highly addictive. And so it needs to be in boundaries. Kudzu works well to keep from erosion on the banks of rivers. But kudzu outside its bounds is so pervasive and it destroys everything it touches. Farms, ranches, forests, on and on it goes. And it is so overwhelming. That's the way it is with human sexuality outside the bounds and the parameters that God has put there. And then he goes ahead, he says, by the way, you Corinthians, Corinthian Christians, you three things you need to know before we get in chapter number seven. Whoa. Don't read it in a modern translation. You'll be frightened to come to church, by the way. You better come and let me handle seven. He says there's three things you got to know. First of all, look there in verse 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? When you and I give our body to Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord, we don't belong to ourselves. We become, hold on to this, a part of the Trinity. Look back, if you would, in John chapter number 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross and was resurrected. Look what he says. John 17, verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory, said Jesus, talking about Christians, that you gave me, and they may be one as we are one, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. You can have diversity and still unity, folks. We need to understand that. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are in a holy, reverent dance together. And as a Christian, he invites all of us to come and dance with them. Dance with him. You see, we don't underplay Christianity. We don't get it. When we see the full scope of it and the wholeness of it, we are overwhelmed and we have to be in awe, in awe of what we are now a part of as members of his family. You see, you don't want to just be engaged to God. We have married God through Jesus Christ. By the way, you know why Jesus never married? Ever thought about that? He never married because he's engaged. 
He's engaged to all of us who are in Christ. That will be the great marriage feast, the banquet, when all of us get to heaven and the celebration of that. He will be married to the body which is the church, which is all of us who are in Christ. He's engaged now in the expectation moment in eschatology when we will live and reign with him forever and forever. How beautiful this is. So would we take our body that belongs to God in Christ and unite it with a prostitute? Christ in you, Christ in me, someone that we're not married to? And he's already dealt with this in the introduction here. Just drop back for a moment, you would, in chapter number 6. And he says, verse number 13, he said, Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. And then he says, The body, parentheses, is for the Lord and the Lord for the body, and the body is not for immorality. You see that they were teaching in, in the Corinthian culture? They were teaching, well, food is for the stomach, That'll be gone when we die. And therefore, sex is for the body, the body is for sex, and that will be gone. And Paul said, no, no. We will have the resurrection body in heaven united with our soul and our spirit forever. No, it doesn't work like that. Then he goes on to say, how could anybody take a body that Christ is in you and Christ is in me and we're part of that holy dance a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lead it into immorality, into pornea. That's a strong Greek word for illicit sex. So he said, that's the first thing you got to know. Man, that just won't work. That just cannot be. Then he says, verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh, Genesis 2, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee, run from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you believe that? When we sin sexually, we sin against our own body? Just look at a little snippet of sexually transmitted diseases today, and they're in unprecedented epidemic proportions. Look today on our hookup university and college campuses, birth control pills and Prozac, they're mostly demanded in all the pharmacies there at our college and university. I wonder why. Antidepressants? Birth and pills, they can't keep them on the shelves in drugstores that surround our college university. I wonder why. Sexual immorality affects us, disturbs us, and we see the high, high realm of promiscuity in every area of life, college, universities, neighborhoods, clubs, activities, organizations, businesses. You go on and on and on today. What's happening? And Paul says, other sins are out here. Lie, cheat, steal, swindle. 
But the sexual sin is in here, and it affects our body, our psyche, our sleep, our emotional stability. I remember years ago, an ex-Marine came to faith in Jesus Christ. He'd been very promiscuous with his life. About a year, I asked him, I said, Jack, what's the biggest difference? He said, I don't go around frightened all the time. I, I, I sleep at night. I don't, when I see the husband of some of those women I was sleeping with, I was always on her. He said, for Christ has set me free. I'm a new person in Christ. You see, it affected everything about him. This intimate, God-made relationship was a symbol of your relationship with mine. We are gifted to have in Jesus Christ. He said, you need to know this. And then look at the last thing he says, we need to know. Do you know that your bodies are, whoa, temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body, my body, is a church. It's a temple. We received Christ. The Holy Spirit came in and united with your spirit and with my spirit, and there inside of you and inside of me, there is a temple. It's like the temple that was built, and the very literal presence of God was there in the Holy of Holies. In your life and in my life, there's a Holy of Holies there, a sacredness there that belongs to God. What kind of society do we live in? Is it true? Is that just some preachment? Well, I heard on Sunday that America has been sexualized. Anybody want to debate that? I don't think you can intellectually. I want you to look at something. Just look at this list. Just look at it. 416 produced by Harvey Weinstein, who's now in prison for 23 years for charges of rape, sexual exploitation of over 80 women, all of that. That's just one part of that which permeates our sexualized culture, just one part of that just one part. What do you do about this sexual, sexual vine, kudzu vine that wraps around our nation, that wraps around so many of us, past or present? What do you do about it? How do you kill kudzu? Boy, all kind of ways have been found. You know the best way they found and they're really the only way to eliminate it? You'd never guess. Sheep. Sheep. Sheep can take bites. Sheep can go in there, and when sheep begin to eat the kutsu, they go all the way down to the roots. They eliminate it. That's destroyed. Just get a flock of sheep. Get some lambs. Put in the kutsu, and it begins to destroy and to kill and to permanently eliminate the kutsu. When I saw that, I said, oh, God, thank you for that. Because how do we get rid of the kudzu today? We get rid of the kudzu by the lamb. 
by the Lamb of Jesus Christ. And it says, we are to run. That's right. We are to run from sexual involvement. That's exactly the counsel that Paul gave to Timothy. That's the counsel that Joseph followed with the good-looking Potiphar's wife. We're to run. In which direction do we run? We run to the cross where the Lamb of God is there. His blood takes away the sin. It kills the kudzu and cleans up your life and in my life. That's the direction in which we run. Amazing, the Lamb. And then it says, you're not your own, said Paul. You've been bought by a price. I thought of Hosea. Hosea married a woman named Gomer. God asked him and commanded him to marry Gomer, knowing that Gomer would break his heart. She was sensual, knowing that she would be unfaithful time and time again to man after man after man that would continually break the heart of God's prophet. And by the way, Gomer had to be a good-looking gal to be named Gomer and have that many relationships. You can book that. (laughs) And finally, Gomer, as always happens, especially in sensual sin, he's washed up, washed out, thrown away. Nobody wants her. Beauty is gone. She's sick. She's diseased. She has nowhere to turn. She's empty. She's done for. And she just goes and offers herself as a slave. She's stripped naked. The crowd gathers to bid. And she felt worthless. In every way you can imagine worthlessness. A life of total dissipation. But then the auctioneer said, what am I bid? What am I bid? What am I bid? There she was naked. She hears a voice say, five shekels. She recognized the voice. It's her husband. And she couldn't believe it. Then another voice says, ten shekels. And the voice comes back. Her husband says, 15 shekels. She said, whoa, I know that boy. I can't believe he's bidding for me after all these years. Oh. And then finally somebody else says, 15 shekels. Matches the bid. And Hosea, running out of ammunition, said, 15 shekels and and a homer and a half of barley. The auctioneer said, sold. Gomer's frightened. Here's the man she'd married to. She'd so abused and thrown away in shame over years and years. Here she was totally, totally ruined as a person, as a life. And she said, maybe he's bought me in order to punish me for what I've done. But instead, Hosea comes up and just covers her. And he whispers and says, I love you more than you can ever know. 
Let's go home. Let's go home. That's the grace of God for all who are wrapped up in the kudzu of sin.